0: Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 556 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a
1: new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on, and for just
0: about everything for the outdoors, shop midwayusa.com.
1: Todd Bumgardner is a strength and conditioning coach, but he loves to hunt. And he just came back from Alaska. He's been to Alaska for the, first, for the last four years, essentially. And um, was not successful. And I wanted to have a, a, a very short, sharp discussion that was very philosophical, ideological, about this idea of failure. And about this idea of pressure. And the pressure that you put on yourself as a hunter to be successful, even though hunting by definition has failure built into it. I think it's a fascinating conversation that I know I need to have with a psychologist one day, which is the psychology of hunting and the psychology of failure and the psychology of pressure and the sort of valleys and hills that we actually love because it makes the story and the success that much sweeter. So enjoy. I, I don't even know this question. I think I know the answer to this question. Okay. You you enjoy a libation, right? Of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, fitness
0: person. You know, it's like you know, you have those guys that are like,
1: ah, you're not supposed to drink at all. And...
0: Man, I don't know. It's like I think uh, what Arnold said it best is something like "beers for men and milk is for babies" or something like that. Mm, you know, I like so. that
1: i got this Hi. Japanese lager that I've never had before. Japanese-style lager beer. It's really good.
0: I like Asian beers a whole lot, like uh, Singha and all those. Like, I love mm-hmm. going to, to Asian restaurants and getting Asian beer, man. They're all so good.
1: Yeah, I like it a lot. Todd Baumgardner, um, welcome to Blood Origins Podcast. It's Thanks, been man. A, we should have had you on a long, long time ago, but now you've got a really cool story that I want to – not a story, but like a – like a thing that's pervasive in the hunting community that I want to talk about.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like the timing was right then. I think that that's probably just what it is.
1: Yeah, so for those who don't know about human predator pack mule and who you are, Todd, uh, give a little bit of introduction to who you are and what you do.
0: Yeah, so uh, I am by trade a strength and conditioning coach or human performance coach or whatever you want to call it. There's a million different names now. Uh, so I have a gym in Northern Virginia. I also am the one of the human performance coaches for a uh, tier one group, um, and then I have Human Predator Pack Mule, which is an online fitness coaching service for uh, backcountry hunters. For and pack so, mules. Pack mules, yeah. So if you get to so you get to be a pack mule, so you can enjoy the whole hunt, and then you get to that point where you get to be a back pack mule. That's the whole goal, and just to you know enjoy your experience in the outdoors more cuz you you're, you're going to like it a whole lot better if you're in good shape and then i just uh one of the the premises is like being able to do what we like to do for as long as we possibly can and then also you know just never feeling like An animal is too far away for you to get to, you know, like obviously Mm -hmm. there's, there's obnoxious distances and you can't Mm -hmm. cover, but if it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, I can't get across that drainage. I just don't want people to ever question their fitness as whether or not they can get to where they need to be to do what they want to do.
1: Yeah. And I've been, uh, we've been working together for two years or so. And. I've been off the wagon. I fell off the wagon pretty hard this year, but it's been a a rough personal year for me. Um, but we're about to get back on it, but I will say this, I was in the whole like CrossFit, um, you know, massive amounts of, of fitness, um, sort of intensity type workout. And you're very much a methodical baseline base level work sort of just incrementally raise yourself up. And, um, yeah, when I, went, when, I, when I went hunting in Texas for that scimitar-horned Oryx, I think I texted you this. Yeah. That, um, like, I felt it was the best I'd felt. It was like, you know, 14, 16 months I'd been with you or something like that. And when I shot that scimitar-horned Oryx, the guy that was with me, is probably a 205, 210 guy. And I gave him a one-armed hug, and I just picked him up with one arm. He was yeah. like, dude. Like what the hell? And I was like, <laughs> I guess I, you know, I felt strong. I am strong, and
0: it's all credit to you. Oh well, I, I appreciate that. You're the guy that shows up and does the work, man. So I, uh, I was pumped when you sent me the pictures from that. Those pictures were beautiful.
1: Oh yeah, it yeah. was, and it was just classic. You know, it was. Yes, it was a high fence. Yes, it was eight thousand acre high fence that had African animals everywhere. And it was classic Africa. If nobody's ever hunted Africa, what you do typically in Africa is you drive around because the areas are massive. Okay. You're talking about, um, I don't know, 50,000 acres, you know, 100,000 100, 100, acres because it's 50,000 hectares. You can't walk in that property. Like the, the, it's walking, you're only seeing 10% of the property. So you drive. And driving, you see. Um, animals, you cut tracks and you almost, it's a spot and stalk type, type scenario. You see an animal, you go in, you see tracks, you go in and you determine if that's an animal you want to take. And on this hunt, I must've spot and stalked a dozen times from 8am in the morning to 530 in the afternoon, sunburn on the arm, sticking out the window, just like Africa, smelt like Africa. And then finally, we got on the animal that we wanted to take, and we took him at 5.30. It was yeah. amazing.
0: Getting that many stocks in a day is cool by itself. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and that's the thing about Africa. A lot of people say that you go, it's the only place that you truly can just go hunt, in that you don't know what you're hunting that day. Mm. Like, you went to Alaska to hunt what?
0: Mostly moose, Yeah.
1: Okay, but you had a moose tag and you had another tag. Like oh, I had a carib- moose tag
0: and a caribou tag, yeah. Okay,
1: so you, that's what you were hunting. You couldn't yeah. hunt anything else.
0: Well, you can tag down. You could, yeah. So, I ended up hunting other things. But okay. yeah, for, the, for the main premise, yes, that's what you're supposed to hunt, yeah. Um,
1: in Africa, you can just, like, you don't know what you're hunting. Depends on what you come across. Um, and... Uh, it just you come across an impala you come across a gemsbok you come, across, Hemsburg, you come across, across a kudu and it's and it's the right age class you can hunt it that's africa that's I, cool that's that's africa
0: that's super cool i just i i would love to hunt kudu i just there's just something about those animals maybe it's just the way that they look because they look they're so big and strong and majestic looking i mm-hmm. think that's probably it but man they're cool 100% 100%
1: all right so the reason want to have you on here is yeah. um, you enjoy hunting Alaska. I do. How many times you been up there?
0: Four. I've been there four times.
1: Four times. Mm-hmm. And how many animals have you taken?
0: One. <laughs> One animal. Was yeah. that the
1: first time you went up there? You took an animal?
0: Nope. The second. The first time I went uh, in this in the spring to hunt black bears and no, like literally saw a black bear for. Uh, a matter of seconds and that's all I saw the entire trip. So, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of, I've spent a lot of gameless days <laughs> in, in Alaska, a lot of them. So, so tell me about this time, um,
1: because this is where the conversation's going to dive down the rabbit hole that I, th- I, I, I hope we can go down.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Yeah. So uh, this time <sighs> the plan was, you know, I mean, you started talking about Africa. So the plan was to try to have like this great Alaskan safari. So like, what are the things that all of the different, um, kinds of game that we can pursue there. And so that was the plan. And And it was going
1: to be long, right? you were going to go for like three weeks or something crazy.
0: Yeah. I was there for, I ended up being there for just shy of three weeks. Okay. Um, and so the plan was moose first, um, and then kind of work backwards from there, but um, it ended and the up that moose
1: were rutting around this time, right? Not up there? yet. So, like, oh, okay,
0: that's where that's where there was kind of some of the trouble is that um, we were early on the moose spot. And, Should they uh, have been rutting? It would have been just beginning. It would have been okay. just beginning, really. Okay. By the time that the season opened in that unit, so it would have been the the season opened in that unit on September eighth, and so like from what I understand. That would have been just they're just starting to get worked up, and then towards the twelfth, fifteenth, that kind of stuff. Like that's when things really would have started to pick up a lot more. So okay, so that was the main objective was moose, and then from there it was kind of a a work backwards based on the iconic and and iconic Alaskan animals, and then and then basically what was available, and so we started off um, after caribou. And so we go in, we went back the, I, I don't have a problem telling everybody where we went because there, there wasn't much there anyway. So, uh, we went back into the 40 mile river. Um, one of the forks of that. And literally when we were at the, uh, at the boat launch, the, um, this guy pulls up and he gets out like, not like a boon and Crockett caribou, but like a really nice bull. And we're like, holy crap yeah 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 it's like they're here great we're in a great spot this is awesome and so did you ask him where he
1: had hunted yeah
0: yeah it was right the 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 the, so it was actually a gold miner so all along this one stretch of the river there's just a bunch of gold miners and so this guy was just i think he was just hanging out at his mining camp and this this bull just happened to be walking the river and, and made a mistake and then that's what happened you know yeah and so uh So we pull up to the boat, we're getting ready to put our boat in and, and this guy pulls up and we help him, help him get it into the truck and, and, uh, get it into his truck. And then we ship down the river and that was, (laughs) that was the only caribou we saw for days, you know? And so we, we get back into where our camp is and we were, we were as far up the one river as, as you could go before you hit an obstruction that would not let a, a jet boat get get up any farther. So, so you we went,
1: hired someone, you hired a jet boat and he took no, you up there. No,
0: this was my this was my buddy. Uh, okay. So my, okay. yes yeah. So we he he uh he and I were hunting together and so Okay. we went as far up as we could and then put our camp there. And from what we understood where the animals should have been we we would have been in them a little bit. Days go by. The first couple days go by like nothing. Not even a whisper of an animal. There's it's seriously like Not many birds, not Mm. many anything. And spot a bull caribou off on the one ridge for 30 seconds the one day. Another day to uh, a cow and a calf swam the river right in front of us and came right through camp. And that was it, you know. And so it was one of those things where we could see a fair amount from where we were. And we didn't want to make a bunch of noise by running the boat up and down the river. And so we just got to like, we got on the bend of the river. We could see this way. We could see, we could see upstream. We could see downstream and hung out and glassed for, for a handful of days. And then there was just, there was nothing, there was nothing there. And so uh, we got to the point where it felt like a futile effort. And so we decided to go back out. We went out to Toke, Alaska, got a cabin, retooled. And then went back in for Moose Camp, um, and then <laughs> just—I <laughs> mean, really, like we, it was just interesting because we we didn't see. It was just such a weird place. I mean, Alaska is vast, right? So there's mm-hmm. there's going to be times mm-hmm. in Alaska when you just don't see stuff because there's so right. much land. But we didn't see. We on the way out that time. We jumped some ducks. We jump shot some ducks. And, and that was like, honestly, I went to Alaska. I was in Alaska, I think, for a total of 19 days. And I killed three ducks. That's what I killed. So, so you had a shotgun with you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, took just a, in case. I took, a, I took a rifle. I took a shotgun. Um, and then I took my, my one handgun for bear protection. Mm-hmm. And so went out to Toke, retooled, came back in for moose camp. We were in the night of the 7th. And then we were like, we'll give it till the 12th um, and then kind of make a decision about what we're going to do. And we started calling the night of the seventh. We started doing that um, and had one bull. It sounded like a bull. Give us a a little bit of a grunt. Give us some little grunts the next day. Kind of rake some brush. Kind of give us an idea that he was around. And that was really it. And so we just kept calling and calling and, uh, for, I don't know, three, four days and just mm-hmm. really no response. And so it was one of those things where we were trying to decide, are the, are the, are the moose just not ready or are we just in a place where there aren't any moose, for it? like really mm-hmm. any moose? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it just got to the point where you're looking at the time you're spending And then all of the other opportunities. And we just, we have, you have to make a decision. It's like, do you want to sit here and kind of suffer through this and say, well, I'm going to be stubborn. I'm going to stick to this plan and this is what we're going to do. And we're just going to come hell or high water. We're just going to sit here and take it on the chin and try to call in a moose. Would have been fine with that strategy. The problem is, is we knew that there were other things that we could do, you know, and that's the that's the beauty and the problem with trying to do something like a safari, a a, a makeshift Mm -hmm. safari, like we were doing is Mm -hmm. because, well, we know we could go somewhere else and do something else instead of like, say, keeping the goal, the goal and sticking with the Mm -hmm. objective. And so about that time, uh, like we had the river to ourselves mostly, but then all of these boats just start showing up. All of these jet boats start coming. And we're for a jet boat, not super far, but we're far back in. I mean, we're, We're 40 miles back in. So a
1: bunch of people are coming into moose hunt.
0: We have two boats go through the one night. Then the next morning, another boat shows up. And, you know, it's not, it felt, it honestly felt like I was back home in Pennsylvania, like growing up where it's like, there's just orange in every hollow, you know, and it Uh just felt, it felt cramped and it, it really wasn't like, we probably could have all been there and been fine. But for that environment, it was just like, man, this isn't fun. So, uh, that's when we decided to leave, but and
1: that's when you left, left or went and hunted something else? Or we that went to hunt done? something
0: else. So we, we pulled out, we went down to Cordova. Um, and that's where the plan was. I, I'm not a resident and I wasn't with a guide, so I can't hunt mountain mm-hmm. goats. But the plan was to go up the mountain for my friend to hunt mountain goats and then me to hunt black bears. Because the black bear should have been in the high country too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the plan was to do that. And so and drove, I don't know the... The six hours from where we were up to Fairbanks, retooled, drove from Fairbanks to Whittier, caught the ferry in Whittier and went across to Cordova and uh, did that in the hand and just threw out a couple days. Okay. Nothing happened in Cordova either. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) So let me ask this. Let me ask
1: this. Let me ask firstly from your perspective. Yep. Did you put a weight of expectation on yourself? Always, yeah. Why? Uh, I think that's the deeper question here. It from a from a hunting perspective, from a hunting community perspective. Why do we put an expectation, and maybe expectation is the wrong word here? Why do we put a pressure mm. on ourselves
0: to fill the tag? Yeah, I. I... That's, it's, it's a big question. You know, I was, I, I, there's partly because it's what we're at the base level uh, until you really parse it all out and think about the rest of the experience. It's what's are it's what we're there for. And we want to feel as though we are a hunter and that we're hunting. And the culmination of that is success. I think there's also... I think we also put the social pressure on ourselves to think we want to have, I think we're all a little guilty of this, of the perception of like, oh, well, I'm a hunter. I'm a decent hunter. And so I want to be successful to be able to come back and and share the story and talk about the success. And then there's also, I think a little bit of, all of us have a little bit of our self-worth tied up in that. Like I can go out and do this thing and be successful at this thing. And I think it's a combination of all of that and you sit down it's like it's so funny cuz my buddies were were just kind of busting my chops when I came back mm-hmm. and they're like I guess we're going to have to throw out all those moose recipes that we were mm-hmm. looking up and it's just like but you want to be able to come back and share meat and and I really think it's the culmination of of a lot of those different things of we do feel social pressure we we want to be perceived as being good at at the thing that we're doing and for us you look at you know, the sacrifice of, of what we we do take away from ourselves when we go to do this. It's like I was in three in Alaska for three weeks, you know. Mm-hmm. I could have been I could have been hanging out with my girl. I could have mm-hmm. been uh, at I could have been hunting here. I could have been working on my businesses. I could have been doing mm-hmm. all of these other things that mm-hmm. contribute to my life, but I chose to go to do this thing to try to be successful. And I think where we get maybe a little bit gummed up with it is that we all know the odds. We all know how hard it is to actually go out and be successful with something like that unless, you know.
1: Well, do we really, do we really put the odds, do we really contemplate the odds when we lay pressures and expectations on ourselves?
0: You're probably right about that. We probably don't consider it enough, you know.
1: And even with those odds, and you can tell me if this was true to
0: you and probably was, halfway through the hunt at the pressure mount. Oh, it always does. And I mean, it's weird because this one wasn't as bad as it normally is, but there'll be like, man, I can remember different times. Like the first time I went to Alaska or um, even the second time, there's just this this point where you almost feel like you're going to burst because you haven't seen what you want to see or you haven't had the opportunities. And it's just like, is this going to happen? And... It's it's almost like a my buddies tried to use the word greed like we get greedy about it almost you know like it's like we want but I don't think that's the right word like I think we have this this really convoluted desire and I think in ways it's just like a misappropriated ambition whereas like. Mm. We're doing this because we don't have to do this. Like, no. I hate, I hate using the word hobby when it comes to hunting because it, it feels too, it feels cheap. It doesn't feel as severe it should, as it should feel because we're doing it for keeps, right? Like at the mm-hmm. end, if everything goes right for us, something dies. And I don't mm-hmm. think hobby is the right word, but it's like, this isn't necessary. And we're doing this for enjoyment. But I think there's also, we want to challenge ourselves and be able to display all of our skills. Mm-hmm. And the culmination of that is getting behind your bow or, or your rifle and letting the bullet go or letting the arrow fly and it going where it's supposed to go. And then at the end, you, you get to release all of that emotion because I think a lot of it is too, and maybe you can relate to this, the, there's a, there are different levels of catharsis that you feel when, when you, when you kill a big game animal, you know, yeah. and those emotions don't get to go anywhere really unless you do that. And I think that you kind of get stuck with them until the next time. And so I feel like a lot of times that pressure builds.
1: Oh, there's no doubt that, you know, to me, it's almost like a 21st century tribalism in Mm. that there was pressures back a thousand years ago when you and I were competing to bring something back to the fire and you brought it back and I didn't. And the competition for, you know, for the woman, for, the best cut of meat, whatever it was, there's, there's certainly inherently this like competition element yeah. today. We're not in a competitive environment of like you winning something over me doing it, but there's certainly a competitiveness and competitiveness actually in this sense is the wrong terminology. There's a expectation that when you tell people and sometimes mm-hmm. like, you have this expectation, I'm going hunting. Well, I hope you get something. Exactly. Well, I hope so too, because then I can brag and then I can tell people. I can tell people all these things. And, and it, this, this idea of failure, which unfortunately is something that we as hunters don't recognize enough, that hunting by definition is chase and seek, and failure is built into the definition of hunting. That's why it's not called killing, it's called hunting for a reason. We don't embrace. The idea that for certain animals, like what you just did, that failure rate or that, that chase and seek is a lot more difficult, has a lot less probability of occurring versus a white-tailed deer in your backyard. Oh, of course. And the fact that you've taken the time away from your family and you've, taken, you've spent all this money, there's additional obligations, additional expectations that mount the pressure on you being successful yeah. and it's like and here's where i struggle and that's why i wanted to have this conversation is that we're doing this thing because we love it yet we put so much pressure on ourselves to be successful mm. that it actually is not enjoyable i can guarantee you i'll talk for myself i don't want to speak for you you get to a point if you're not successful, and it's day four of a five-day hunt, that you're not enjoying the hunt anymore. Because you are solely focused. Yes. You cannot get that thing out of your brain that is, I have not done
0: what I came here to do.
1: Yeah. And it takes the enjoyment away from it.
0: Yeah. It's, you start, well, it's, it's, uh, I totally agree. You get it, you get something akin to tunnel vision where it's like, you don't, you know, one of the the things I have a a text thread with some of my buddies and we always, you know, we talk about our hunts and whatever. It's like, we all hunt, we like to hunt waterfowl and the different things we hunt and, you know, and there's like they joke about it on social media. It's like when somebody doesn't kill any something, they like post a picture of the sunset or the sunrise or something like that. And it's like, But what's wrong with that? You know, I think, don't think there's anything wrong with that. Cause I, I, one of the things that I, that I always count, like when I'm, whether it's deer season or whatever, it's like, I get to see way more sunsets and way more sunrises than the most normal people do. And that's a a wonderful thing. But when you get to that day four of the five day hunt, you stop seeing them the same way. You don't, you don't count your blessings the same way. Cause it's like tunnel vision. But I also think that, I don't know if there's. I'm, I'm hesitant to say that there's not something attractive about that tunnel vision, too, because I think you kind of feel alive in that moment. And you're like, I'm here to do something and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, that's what my energy is going to go into for the next 18 to 24 hours or whatever it may be, you know? And so. Does the
1: take I, get elevated more because of it? I think
0: Does there's the a bigger... Does the success
1: become more elevated because of that tunnel vision? That could be. I, oh, I'm, I, I'm going to say absolutely. I think so. I mean, I like think it's there's like a bigger holy c- smokes, if it if it happens, yeah. Because you again, it's it's it, this. I'd love to talk to a psychologist about this whole psychology that's happening within a hunter. That is, you're almost like a Debbie Downer on yourself, tunnel visioning yourself. But there's a there's there's, there's, there's probably a little bit there that is. But if I do it. Mm. How much better am I going to feel? How much better is the story? How much better is it when it's the last hour of the last
0: day? Well, I think that's what we keep talking to ourselves into staying. That's how we stay there, you know? And plus, it's like, you know, it's not a good story if you just walk out and kill something, though, either. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, well, we walked out and it was, you know, it was there and I shot it. But, you know, you did eight stocks that day. You know what I mean? And then you found it's like, it, when you saying that, it just made me think of... uh last year my friend christian and i went to montana and we were hunting elk and mule deer <clears throat> and at one point you know we found a really good spot for elk and elk were moving through it and where we saw them moving through the day before we had adjusted where we were going to set up and so we moved 100 yards in one direction the problem was we were at the edge of blm land and national forest land and so there was a fence And so these elk come out and they were coming across from dark timber through a meadow and I was stuck. I couldn't move and I couldn't get set up. I couldn't get close enough to the fence to shoot through it. Cause if I would have tried to shoot through it, I was scared that my bullet would have hit one of the pieces of wire. And so Mm -hmm. I couldn't shoot. And so these elk skirt through this meadow, I don't know, less than 200 yards away and I couldn't do anything about it. And we were Pretty deep into the hunt at that point. So I go and try to track these elk and, I, and and everything. And I come back to Christian and I sit down and I, at that instant, I already started like the quote unquote mourning process of like, I'm not going to get one, mm-hmm. you know, and just felt that sink and like mm-hmm. had to work mm-hmm. through it because it was like, I just blew it, man. I'm not mm-hmm. going to get another shot now. I did. Mm-hmm. I ended up killing an elk, but it was just, it was an interesting turn of events. Like so excited, like there they are, they're playing right into our lap. We were smart. The realization that we weren't as smart as we should have been, and then trying to track track them, and just like they're gone, they're off onto some private land or something. I'm not going to get a shot, and then the disappointment before. Like, and it was funny because like at that point, we had three days left to hunt.
1: We had mm. three days,
0: and you had called it. And, I, I, and in my brain, there was already something. I was like, we're going to keep hunting, but that was probably it, man. Like you're not going to get a shot. It's an interesting feeling.
1: It's I don't know, man. You know, I think someone who in that moment is like super positive. Number one, I I just couldn't do it. Like my brain and my mind, I'm not strong enough to do it. But again, antithetical to that would be, is the highs and the lows, is the sinking disappointment, the sort of convincing yourself that it's not going to happen for when it happens, makes it that much richer.
0: I think it's part of it. You know, I, I think it's part of it. I think we also have to consider the amount of opportunity. Whereas like we met well, on that same, that same hunt, we met this old guy that was a the, a resident of Montana and like could sit and laugh these things off and have these things happen, you know, and it's like, it's no big deal to him. Cause it's like, well, he can come out on Tuesday. We can't, <laughs> we got to go home. You know what I mean? So I think the amount of opportunity you have makes you look at it different too, because all of that pressure is just condensed. I, I think it really comes down to stakes. And, and I think that that's what draws a lot of us to hunting too. And, and what gives us that feeling of pressure and that ge- that feeling of disappointment sometimes, or and all of the more intense emotions because stakes from a lot of different reasons, uh, like for example, you know, if you take a shot and it's a bad shot, there's a lot, there's a lot there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like something's going to suffer. You might not find it. You're going to feel terrible, like all of those things. And you can't take it back. Whereas like, I, I use this, I have this conversation with my friends about hunting versus fishing. Like I like to go fishing just cause it's, it's fun, but I love to hunt. And I think it's because of the stakes. You can't take it back. You're playing for keeps mm. and when you condense that emotion of trying to play for keeps into such a short time frame and you put such a high value on the outcome, mm. I think it's incredibly difficult not to feel that way. So for here's another example, not to bogart the conversation, but the past I had never really cared about how big of a buck I killed. It was never something that I worried about. But these past like two or three years, I got like hyper focused on these two big bucks that were on a couple of the properties that I hunt. I didn't have as much fun during my hunting season because like I had opportunities to kill perfectly fine animals, put meat in my freezer, you know, have my trophy, whatever it is. And I didn't do it because I knew that those two were alive out there and I wanted to hunt them and I wanted to do it and and partly prove that I was good enough to hunt them and find Mm -hmm. them and and be successful. But it wasn't as fun. So that's why I decided this year is like, I'm not doing that. I'm just, Mm -hmm. that's not how I'm going to approach it. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting conundrum, and I wanted to have a conversation with someone who just experienced it because, you know, the pressures that are associated with hunting, though, as I've tried to articulate, maybe not very well, the pressures associated with hunting that are tied to success, you almost think, again, what I'm trying to get at is, like, why do we have those pressures? One to this thing that we love to do, that we're purposely doing and we're spending money to do, we're traveling halfway around the world to do. So you're purposely putting yourself in that situation, so why the pressure? But counter to that, maybe it's the pressure that drives us to do those kinds of things, because we know that when we succeed, it's that much more of a, almost like that endorphin, elation, rush, gosh, I did it.
0: Yeah. I I agree with you. I I think that there's there's a lot there, especially, I mean, if you think about the the greatest stories that are told, or even how stories started. I mean, probably as hunting stories, but then, you know, you look at all of the the most famous stories in the world. You know, the stories from Star Wars or Harry Potter. It's like it's the hero's journey. It's never a linear path. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I made a joke one time about nobody like nobody wants to, you don't, it's not as fun to come home and tell the story of we just walked out and we shot the thing. You know, it's, it's different when it's like, oh man, it rained. And then there were three days in the tent and we weren't sure if it was going to happen. And then this one came, but there was a stick in the way and I couldn't get my, and then, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden you go through all of these trials and tribulations, you mm-hmm. learn something and then, then you're successful and then you can come back and tell that story. And I think we all mm-hmm. have an, an innate desire to do that. So are you are going back to Alaska next year? I think I am. Yeah. Yeah. I had uh, somebody else say that they were like, uh, they would like to go. And so I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's go. Yeah.
1: We've talked about the whole road. I wouldn't mind doing the whole
0: road. I would go up the whole road with you, Robbie. The whole road's fun. It is, uh, it is a journey. You need, <laughs> you need a comfortable vehicle. We'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Because people rent like U-Haul you, you vans, Right. You could do it in a U-Haul. The first time I went up, it we had a bit like the biggest Dodge Ram that you could get, and that was nice. But I've I've also done it in like a an electrician's van, and (laughs) that's that's not super fun. So I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do it that way again.
1: Well, Todd, you know we like to keep these little conversations short, sharp, and to the point. And uh, as I texted you earlier this week, I was like, man, let's have this conversation because you were you're almost like spitting some of this these thoughts out on instagram saying hey it wasn't meant to be kind of scenario but there's a much bigger story here and just wanted just wanted to chat about this i guess this dilemma that i face all the time right yeah i haven't shot a freaking black bear in maine in three years and the whole world knows about because cody won't let me live it down the fact (laughs) that i've spent 79 hours in a tree stand and seen two cubs
0: but you keep going back though don't you
1: Oh no, no, no!
0: I've you know quit. you're done. I've quit. <laughs> I I said
1: I said that the next time I go black bear hunting, I'm going to Canada and I'm going to see twenty bears a day, and then I'm going to go back to Maine. I'm going to and kill those bears, and then yeah. I'm going to go back to Maine.
0: I understand, but you know what's funny about that is because you think about different ways that you you break people into hunting, and it's based on like the level of success someone might have, like. If you think about it, I don't know what you do with your boys, but like, I think one of the best things for boys, like breaking in kids, is going small game hunting or going bird hunting because you're going to see something. Yeah, but There's you want pretty...
1: success. You want those individuals exactly to be right. successful yeah. because otherwise they're not going to stay hunting.
0: But the thing is, is but you're just talking about you're going to do that to yourself. So you, you're going to go get the success so you can still go back to Maine and, and find like, a way yeah. to enjoy it. Yeah. So. Yeah, because
1: to me, I got to a point where, again, with Maine, it wasn't enjoyable anymore. I was like, yeah. even like flying up there for the third excursion, it was just like, there was, even before the day even started, day one of day five, I was like, this isn't, I'm done. Like it's, and again, maybe it was me hyping myself up to the point where if it did happen, but then shit, man. Yeah.
0: I think it's the okay. The low to- was
1: even much lower.
0: I get you. I think it's okay to just, but that's where, I mean, that's where I got to with this Alaska trip where I was just like, I'm done hunting. I, mm-hmm. It felt like work. It mm-hmm. felt like work. It didn't feel enjoyable. I was like, I'm done. I'm going mm-hmm. home. This mm-hmm. isn't worth it anymore, you know, because I didn't want it to have that, that taste in its mouth. So, I think you looking at that and weighing the cost to, to benefit and the time that you're spending on it and saying, I'm not going to do this again for a while. It's a totally okay thing. I think mm-hmm. that that's a smart thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Todd, I appreciate your insight, man. I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the discussion. Yeah,
0: no, thank you, man. It was it was great, and I appreciate you having me on to have it. You're welcome.
1: Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.